Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. John chapter 9 and and verse 1. We're going to be in the scripture line by line today, and I'm going to get you out of here. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw. It's amazing the things that uh, Jesus sees, but everyone else seems to miss. You know, we we tend to notice celebrities. We'll we'll notice someone we grew up with. We'll notice family. We'll notice friends. But Jesus specialized in spotting the nobodies right out of a crowd. You know, you see, God sees our heart more clearly than we see each other's faces. And, and, And he saw this man who was blind. This man couldn't see his way around. He couldn't see his, his, his way into doors in or doors out. He'd often hit his head, he'd stub his toe, he'd bruise his arms on the things that normal people were able to avoid because they could simply see. And I want you to put yourself in a situation of, of this man and And have you ever felt like everyone else was kind of moving on with their lives, but you're kind of stuck banging around in the dark? And and this time of year has a way of bringing that out and and bringing it up to the service, because everyone's so merry, everyone's so chipper, everyone's talking about the the, the holiday spirit. And when things aren't going as you would like in your life, it makes it just a little bit more, more challenging. And the contrast between the happiness you want and where you really are seems to become starker and clearer uh, in our own understanding of ourselves and our situation. Scripture says he was a man who was born or who was blind. In the moment, it's going to say uh, from birth. But in that time in history, if you were born blind, you really had no other option but to beg to survive. And, and this was the case of, of this man. He became one of the many bothersome uh, uh, pen, uh, peddlers, if you will, on, on the side of the road. And he was, he was kind of a, a person that most people kind of wished it would just go away and, and never really speak to them again. People don't want to be reminded of, of, of people's pain and plight. You want to just be able to go on with, 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 with your day. But what was interesting, the Bible said that Jesus saw this man. And Scripture comments that way because obviously Jesus looked at him, but it was a look where he didn't look away. And often when we see something we don't like, we quickly look away. We, we quickly turn and distract ourselves. So we not, we, see, we keep looking at it, we're going to feel obligated to do something. But the Bible says he saw him indicating that, that there was a long kind of, of look here, and, and here's the deal. If his eye is on the sparrow, you know he watches over you and me, and he was paying attention. And, and again, everyone was watching their leader, and, and he's coming into town, but he, he, he kind of looks at things, but he stops, and he's really paying attention to this one individual, this man who was blind. But then the Bible goes on and gives us some more details. It says, blind from birth. So certain limitations and inadequacy had been with him from, from, from day one. And, 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 and the Bible doesn't say this, but my guess is, and, and yeah, I'm reading in just a little bit, but, but my guess is the holidays may not have been his favorite time of year. You know, everyone else was able to make contributions. Everyone else was able to, 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 to give gifts and do all that, but, but all he had was a cup of dependency. All he went, you know, he was asking for something. He really didn't have a whole lot to give. And then the disciples 
watching, you know, that Jesus is paying attention to him, they pose a question. It's okay. Jesus, I, I see you, you notice this, this gentleman. He said, well, well, this, you know, this, this can help us understand some things. His disciple asked him, saying, Rabbi. Now, this was a title of respect that he used really to call attention, or the disciples used to call attention to their question and the seriousness, better, of their question. So this is a serious question. So they're calling him rabbi, so he has to put on his rabbi hat. And, uh, you know, any rabbi worth any salt uh, had an opinion on such matters. So, so he was about to answer, you know, a deep philosophical, uh, metaphysical, you know, uh, uh, question and issue that, you know, they're really expecting to hear something profound. And they said, who sinned? Now, when the disciples saw the man and his condition, they wanted to debate his case, debate his issues. But Jesus responded by simply seeing the man. You can tell a lot about others through what they see in other people. And also, when Jesus recognizes your worth, it kind of gets hard to stay around people who don't. That was just free. And the rabbi said, who, I'm sorry, not the rabbi, the disciple, pray for me. Who sinned? Now, I can't really explain why we're, we're, we're like this as people. But some people are not happy till they have somebody to blame. So, so they see a man, you know, he's minding his business. He's, he's not, you know, in an ideal situation. So immediately the disciples start playing the blame game. He said, well, who sins, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But here's the deal. Everything's not the government fault. Everything's not your parents' fault. The fact of it is, everything's not always your fault. Now, we, we have to learn from our mistakes, but, but, but here's the deal. Sometimes stuff just happens. And you can spend all your time trying to figure it out, and you're never going to untangle that knot in which that thing came out of. Verse 3, watch Jesus' answer. Jesus answered, neither. And here's the point. Everything is not always so cut and dry. Everything is not so black and white. Now, when I'm in trouble and when, when something's going wrong in my life, my, my first question is, Lord, how did I contribute to my situation? But here's the question. Here, here's the issue. If, if I stay on that question too long, overthinking will kill me. Overthinking will depress me. If I stay on that question too long, it becomes all about me and what I did, not about what he can do. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the second question quickly behind, Lord, you know, what piece do I have to own is, Lord, God, you know, can you help? And, and, and a lot of times we, we focus on the piece we own as if we can fix it. Instead of, Lord, you know what, let, let me deal with my peace so I can quickly get to, to the fix. And, and God, my faith is ultimately in you, not in me getting everything right. So Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So sloppy theology caused 
this, the, the disciples here to indict a man they didn't know as well as a family they didn't even know. But watch his response. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but watch this, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Obviously, Jesus did not think the way the disciples thought. You see, problems are not always resolved by analyzing their cause. Sometimes the way you resolve a problem is by discovering its purpose. Okay. <laughs> problems are not always resolved by discovering their cause or finding out who to blame. But sometimes the, the way you answer the problem is, Lord, what is the purpose of this thing that's been causing me so much trouble? And we're, we're in part two of our Christmas series, and, and, and when the ghosts of woulda, coulda, shoulda show up at the foot of your bed, maybe the question's not who is to blame. But, 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 but Lord, what have you been trying to accomplish all this time through this thing? Let, let's stay with me. He said, now the question again is, whose fault is this? Jesus switches and says, whose work is this? He said, I must work. But, but as parents, we, we, we tend to, to fuss with our children about the mess that they're about to make or the mess that they have made. And the reason we fuss is really not so much we're concerned about the kids is because we don't want to clean it up. But God's a better parent than you and me. Now here's the sign, I got this by revelation, that the angels see on the exit ramp right before they enter Earth's atmosphere. Show that sign. Yeah. Please excuse the mess. The kids are making memories. God knew the mess we'd make, but he was willing to come down and clean it up. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. And, and here's the deal. If, you, if your kids aren't having fun, if they're not learning, they're not doing anything, everything's going to be clean, everything's going to be neat, but you're going to see a kid standing in the corner just like this. But God said, you know what? I'm going to have children. They're going to make a mess. But I'm going to come down and clean it up so angels don't judge me. We know there's some problems down there. We know there's some situation. There's some stuff that's been spilled and, and some of them eating stuff they shouldn't eat, smoking stuff they shouldn't smoke. And, and I recognize they're saying some things, doing some things, and, and not quite acting right. They don't really, they're not acting like king's kids the way that they should. But here's the deal. They're my kids. And right now they're in process and they're learning and they're making memories that they're going to carry throughout eternity. He said, yeah, yeah, this man had a problem for birth, from birth, but it's not about blame. It's about my work. It's about what I can do. I must work the works of him who sent me. Jesus' only job was to clean up again what we messed up. And, and, and the Bible says elsewhere, he came to seek and save the lost, but, but that's the same statement. But here's the deal. God doesn't sigh over our problems. He's like, oh gosh, man, you were born blind. How did that happen? Oh, I must have been off the job. I must have messed up. How, how are you in this situation? No, he sees your situation as, as, as an opportunity for him to do his best work. God, see, he doesn't look and see, if, if I... 
knew that Adam was going to sin against me, Adam would have never been. As I've said to you before, if I knew they were going to hang me on a tree, there would be no trees on planet Earth. The closest you might get is an evergreen, but, you know, it, but it would never be hold enough to, strong enough to hold my weight. There'd be no iron ore in the earth. There's no way I would create what they would use to nail me to a tree. But God saw the price. He saw the mess. He saw the cost. But he said, I love you anyway, and you're worth it. It's amazing the way he sees things and his perspective on situations. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. So my guess is here that the sun was beginning to sit on, uh, set on the holy land, and Jesus kind of uses the opportunity to say this, and, and it paralleled, paralleled the fact that Jesus was nearing the end of his, his, his earthly ministry. And then he said this, the night is coming when no one can work. So if you're going to help somebody, if you're going to reach somebody, if you're going to love somebody, you got to live like today is your last day. He said this then. Jesus goes on. And this is where it gets intense. Now, he, they were talking about what did this man do? Did he sin? Jesus switches the focus to him. And that's what we got to learn to do. When we have issues and problems and things that we can't quite explain in our lives, let's not focus too much on explaining it, but let's focus on the one who can fix it, the one with the answers. So he kind of switches the focus. And what I'm trying to get at through this message is when the regrets come up and all the other stuff, let's not spend too much time trying to untangle all that. Let's focus on the one who really can fix all that. Does that make sense to you? All right. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You can miss that because, you know, we're 2,000 years removed from, from this time and, and, and we're Christians for the most part in this room. But what you need to know, this was a huge statement. He was saying what the sun is to the physical universe, I am to the spiritual world. Jesus was claiming nothing less than deity by saying he is the light. He's like, I, I'm the sun. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm the one that makes the, the moon shine at night. I'm, I'm bigger than you ever imagined. You see, you're talking about this man's problem. Who's to blame? You need to look to the sun. You need to, to look to the one bigger than all this. Do you understand that the one even that come from the outside of all this and fix it? When he said these things, now here's the deal. Jesus didn't just make outrageous claims and make outrageous claims. He backed them up. He said these things. The Bible says he spat on the ground. How many of y'all think that sounds just a little bit nasty? Okay. But back in this time, they, they weren't as sensitive as, as, as we were. It was we are. And saliva was often used as, as medicinal cures. Any of you as a kid ever have ash on your face and, and your mom can do one of them? Okay. Yeah. So just think of it more like, 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 like that. But, but still, here's the question. Why would anyone spit to prove their deity? I'm really glad you asked. Genesis 2 and 7. The Bible says, and the Lord God formed. Now, the Hebrew word formed there is asah. 
And it's used throughout the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, described to describe a pot of forming clay on a wheel. So the Bible said the Lord God assad man like a potter on the wheel. But he assad him of or from the dust, literally the dry earth of the ground. And this is how he made the body of the first human. But right now, you, you probably, uh, he, he created this man, and, and if you were there, you probably just see a limp Adam. His body was limp. It existed, but it wasn't alive yet. And then the Bible says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Some people say that when God breathed into Adam's nostril, his blood was created. And when his blood was created, his heart began to pump. And they, they say that's the reason why Leviticus says that, that life is in the blood. So he, when, when his blood began to flow, and, and I don't know how it all worked, the Bible says he became a living being. Now let's go back to 9 and 6. When he said these things, he spat. Today, scientists use saliva to establish paternity. How many of you have ever taken those DNA tests that they send you to to find out who your ancestry.com and all that other stuff? They, they, they use spit to determine your ancestry. And in many cases, the DNA in saliva is as accurate as the DNA found in blood. I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me. Back to Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, now my pastor used to say this. When God created ocean life, he spoke to the waters. When he created the moon and the stars, when you look at Genesis, he spoke to the firmament. When he created the, the plants and the animals, the Bible says he spoke to the earth. But watch this. When God created the human spirit, he could only speak to himself. Because the only God is his father. Let's watch everything else. He spoke to the thing, but watch how he created man. Then God said to himself, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Material life was drawn from the dirt, but our spiritual life comes exclusively and singularly from God. Back to 9, 6. Verse, uh, verse 6. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. Just as God originally formed Adam's eyeballs from the dirt of the ground, Jesus was saying, I can recreate any part of you that is not functioning the way it ought. Because I'm the same God that existed at creation. I've just taken on a body, but I have the same power. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to do it. So a lot of people say a lot of uh, elaborate things about what they can do, and, and, and they, they, they almost boast as if they were God. But the difference is Jesus did the things only God yes. could do. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says this. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, here's the situation. This man was born blind. But likewise, we were all born in sin. You know, the part of us that was created to be in communion and in fellowship with God, our, our hearts couldn't see God. Our, our hearts couldn't really hear God clearly anymore after the fall. 
So what God said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make it all over again. I'm going to make it new. And he says, old things have what? Passed away. So what Jesus does in the new creation, he, he takes out that old rusted engine that was on the inside of us, our, our spirits. And he places in us a completely new motor. Now on the outside, the car looks the same. But on the inside, there's a rev and there's a roar that, that comes from heaven. And, and on the inside, there's a new person, a new strength. And, and what you couldn't do before, now God can enable you to do because there's new power living on the inside of you. And, and Jesus came to give us that new life. Then it says, behold, old things have become what? New. You can't live a new life. You can't run a, a new race with those same old rusty parts. So, so Jesus, he, he came to the earth to fix this and, and to turn around. Just back to John 9 and 6. He made clay with saliva and anointed the blind man with the clay, meaning he took the clay and put it on his eyes. This is a great illustration of what salvation is all about. God injects his DNA, the divine nature of Abba, into our dirt. He spit his DNA. And suddenly, what was useless, suddenly, what was common, what was dirty, becomes powerful, useful, and clean. And then he said to him, and this is, this is pretty much it for this morning, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means scent. You see, Jesus loved this blind man. But still his miracle was tied to his own obedience. And here's the only thing I want to say to you. I don't know what God's asked you to do. But if he's asked you to go, go. If he's asked you to come, come. If he's asked you to forgive, forgive. He's asking you to stand, stand. He's asking you to embrace, embrace. He's asking you to, to, to let it go, let it go. But here's the deal. If you do your part, God will do his. So the, he put, God put the clay on his eyes. The recreation thing was all set up. But the miracle didn't happen until he went to where he was sent. And some of your miracles are not going to happen until you find that place God has sent you and leave that place God sent you before he releases you. Might just all that stuff could come right back on you and, and those same challenges that Jesus already fixed could reemerge. Stay with me. Watch what happened when he obeyed Jesus. He came back seeing. When you're in this time of the year, you're facing a new year, and, and, and you know, it's just, when you get to the end of the thing, you start thinking about it and reflecting on it, but you may not be able to erase your past. But if you listen to me today, God can help you write your future. And in and, 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 and those years that man lived blind, he couldn't erase. But when he obeyed Jesus, it opened a whole new chapter in his you have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.